The ministry of the laity has been a pillar of the Wesleyan movement since its founding nearly 300 years ago. In this ministry, we recognize Paul's uh, teaching to the Corinthians about the nature of the body of Christ and that everybody has gifts. And one of the things that we highlight in the third Sunday of October each year is the gift of laity when it comes to preaching and worship leadership. And so this week we have a bit of a twofer podcast for you. Our most recent Laity Sunday, October 18th, we had two exceptional sermons delivered by uh, two of our worship team and laity, Scott McDonald and Joanna Oxendine, each sharing their particular witness around a word of scripture. So we hope you enjoy this week's uh, double installment of our worship podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. This morning's gospel reading comes from chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went out and him in his They discipled him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said. Oh, thank you much. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went anyway. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. I guess I'm podium bound now, which kind of throws me off a little bit, but that's all right. We'll make it work. Unless Sean's coming to rescue me. Oh, he is. He is coming to rescue me. it's on somebody will run out and tell me if it's not I guess right um, so Scott last night was adorable there's no other word for it I don't think he texted me and said so how long is your uh, sermon running when you practice I'm not sure I've ever used so many rolling on the floor laughing emojis in my entire life because um, I didn't practice um, you know, uh, every time I'm asked to do this, I rely solely on divine inspiration. Um, so I'm going to ask your prayers and to pray with me as I prepare to bring to you all, hopefully, God's message today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. 
It was funny a couple of weeks ago when, you know, Scott and I and the rest of the team were kind of talking about today, and we were sharing the four different passages that were set aside this Sunday for Laity Sunday. And, you know, we were talking about them, and Scott really loved both Psalm 99 and the first Thessalonians. And that was absolutely lovely with me because I decided immediately that I wanted to to, to preach on and to talk to you all about the Matthew text. And when I said that, and when I said, oh, it's the render unto Caesar uh, passage, Sally went, oh. <laughs> I like a good challenge, right? And it also helped me that uh, in college, I actually took a class on the history of the Bible. And it was one of the most illuminating classes I have ever taken in my life, um, you know, in, in any array of my education. Um, because it really did open my eyes to the, the historical and societal context of many of the stories in the Bible. And many of the stories in the Bible that have been cherry-picked to, to put forth these ideas that maybe people of the time wanted support for. And this was one of those stories, right? I don't know about y'all, but when I grew up, this story was preached to me as the separation of church and state, and we're supposed to pay our taxes, right? But when I went to college, this was also one of the passages that we studied intently. And my professor for this class um, is one of, the, one of the current just absolute um, Bible historians right now. If you've ever seen any kind of documentary on the History Channel or A&E or National Geographic, anything that is rooted in the history of the Bible, you have probably seen Bart Ehrman. He speaks an awful lot about the history of the Bible, the societal context, and also how things have gotten lost in translation. So when we studied this passage, he made it quite clear to us that the societal constructs at that time were more about, A, the Romans, the Herodians, and others trying to trap Jesus, right? Trying to figure out some ways to get rid of this heretic, right? Also, we need to understand that this is in a time where Jewish people are being taxed for being outsiders. They're not part of the Romans. And so this imperial tax that is referred to here is basically a tax on being the other, a tax on being the undesirable. So the most oppressed people are being taxed for being oppressed. So when the Romans and the Herodians go to Jesus and ask him this question, Jesus refuses to play their game. He's just not going to do it. He knows it's a game. He knows it's a trap. And he's not going to play. And so he embarrasses them and sends them on their way. Jesus' point is that nothing is Caesar's. Therefore, we can never render to Caesar, which I love. I grew up on the King James version of the Bible. 
You know, it was my daddy's Bible, black leather with a little teeny zipper, thinnest pages. And I remember, you know, reading this and knowing that passage. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. And that's the piece that's been misconstrued. It's impossible to give back to Caesar what is Caesar's because it's not Caesar's to begin with. Everything is God's. This morning when I was trying to get ready, and I say trying to get ready because this is a struggle sometimes, um, you know, when I first woke up, I had a whisper, and I'm glad that Scott used that term. I had a whisper this morning. And my whisper told me, you should wear that shirt. Well, sometimes I can be a little hard-headed. And so I got my shower, and I do what I did most mornings when I have to, you know, dress appropriately, if you will, like a grown-up. Um, I stood in my closet for, it's probably 10 minutes, maybe 15. It's like a black hole in there to me when I go in there and try to figure out something to wear. So I'm going through dresses, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I can't wear that. I, I'm going to have a mic pack. I've got to figure out what to do with that. Of course, now I don't even need it, right? But anyway. Uh, so I'm standing there, and I kept thinking, no, you should just wear jeans and that shirt and some cons. It'll look cute. And I didn't want to listen, right? I wanted to find something more church-appropriate, if you will. And that's when I realized I was playing the game. That I should look a certain way. That I should act a certain way. That I had to play this part to feel as though I had something of value to say to you all this morning. And in that moment, I realized that God was already working this sermon in my head, right? I needed to listen to the whisper. And I said, all right, you win. So I don't know who needed to see this message today, but I listened. And whether the message is my shirt when hate is loud, love must be louder. I don't know if that's the message. I don't know if the message is, you know, we're laity, we're normal people. Maybe somebody needed to see me up here in jeans and cons and a t-shirt this morning to feel connected. I don't know. I don't know the reason. All I know is I had that instantaneous realization that I was starting to play the game of what I should do what society tells me I ought to do, instead of listening to God's whisper in my heart and soul. I'm going to check my notes, because I did draw notes. but In thinking about who we are in this separation of ourselves, right? You know, I mean, we've, we've touched on the separation of church and state, but really it's more than that. It's about our separation of ourselves. I think a lot of times, at least for me personally, the times when I find that I struggle the most are the times 
where I am trying to separate who I truly am from some expectation of what I'm supposed to do, who I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to act, whether or not I'm supposed to go along with this or that, the latest trends. It's those moments that I feel the most despair because I am trying to separate my, my godly self, my true self, the divine in me, from what society might be telling me I should go along with. And we are seeing that so much these days, and Scott touched on a lot of that. There are people who are willing to separate themselves from God to act in ways that are counter to Christ's example. I think that this... Uh, the story lends itself to tell us we ought not do that. We ought not play the game. We can't play that game. We cannot separate ourselves from God and have a political persona or a political stance or a cultural pop culture, I'm talking, right? Where things are trendy and you know, peer pressure. I'm thinking about the kids and, you know, my kids going along with things that they know are not right, but it's the popular thing to do. And when they do that, eventually they realize that they have separated themselves from their godly self. And they feel horrible about that. God is speaking, and God speaks to us. We cannot separate these pieces of ourselves from God. None of it is Caesar's. We cannot give anything back to Caesar, which was never Caesar's to begin with. And that includes ourself. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, but I found this quote by C.S. Lewis, and I love C.S. Lewis. Um, I have a hang-in-there kitty. If you're, you know, Gen X, I'm sure you know that. Maybe Millennial, too. Y'all might have had those kitty cat posters in your, in your language arts classroom when you were little. So I have a hang-in-there kitty. And my dear friend Robin helped me name my kitty. So my, my tattoo kitty, his name is Aslan. And if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know that's the lion, right? Aslan, the Christ figure. But I found this quote by C.S. Lewis, and I thought it was just absolutely perfect, right? Divine inspiration. He who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party or a class is rendering to Caesar that which of all things most emphatically belongs to God himself. So I think the question for us today, for me, is who do we serve? In the moments when nobody is looking, who are we serving? Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving 
you know, the pressures of society? Are we serving the crowd? Are we serving the bandwagon? Or are we serving God? Am I willing to play the game? Are you willing to play the game? Are we collectively, as children of God, willing to play the game when our example, our brother in God, demonstrated to us that we don't play the game. We hold strong and true and fast to that which we know is God's will. Love, kindness, acceptance, compassion, grace. Forgiveness, gratitude. That, my friends, is the only game we should play. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope you've been encouraged. If you are interested in being part of our worship experience during this time of physical separation, please join us at 9.30 a.m. Sunday, Pacific Time, on our YouTube channel, Redlands First UMC. That's Redlands, F-I-R-S-T-U-M-C. Redlands First UMC.